inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Outlook on uh, Monday morning. And yeah, we're back for another episode this week. Uh, just wanted to say, first of all, that we are now available on uh, major podcast platforms, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. And you can find us Outlook on Radio Western is what we're called on there. So yeah, go check us out. We're trying to get the word out. Build a few some some ratings and people subscribing so oh there you go good morning there you are yes i'm here too and we're in the same room again so it's always nice since we've been doing some of these remotely through facebook messenger and all that kind of stuff so it's nice to be in the same room yeah and but i'm really looking forward to our guest today that you actually uh found Right? Yeah, you've been lining up a lot of the guests recently, so <laughs> I'm happy to be able to contribute this time and uh, Thank you. get somebody on the show. So um would like to welcome our guest today. Uh, her name is Caroline Karbowski, and she is the CEO and founder of a nonprofit organization called C3D that manages the printing and distribution of 3D printed models for blind people and... Um, it's an honor to have her on the show today, and it's a perfect guest for this show because as our theme states, we focus on accessibility, which ties very well into this topic, and yeah, just a very fascinating story here to tell, so we're looking forward to getting right into it. Yeah, so how did you um, find Caroline, Bry? before we speak with her here? Yeah, so... It was a couple of years ago at the National Federation of the Blind convention in Orlando. And yeah, I think it was actually a science seminar or something that we might have met at. I can't quite remember. Right. I know. I was thinking of that too. I couldn't remember exactly when, but I do remember talking with you. Okay. I was going to ask if you still do remember first meeting and what your impression was, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not good to share on air. Who knows? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's good. No, I'm glad you meet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, I, I recall this, the seminar ended and then I got up to leave and there's like there was like these weird corner things here that felt like it was an exit, but it was just a corner. And then you came and said, oh, you're walking into a corner. So then I was like, oh, OK. Oh. Um, and then from there, you showed me a few of the uh, 3D models that you had and told me a little bit about yourself. So we'd like to talk about um, C3D specifically. But um, before that, kind of get into prior to C3D was a thing. So uh, we're currently talking to you from, you're in Ohio, is that right? Yes, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Right on, our first our first guest from Ohio. <laughs> I've, I've been reading in, through research that you, you learned Braille in grade six. And just for our listeners to note, um, Caroline is not, is not blind. Um, so what made you interested in blindness in the first place and discovering braille at 12 yeah sure and first of all thanks so much for inviting me to the podcast this is a great opportunity love 
getting to talk with you all. So yes, in sixth grade, I did start learning Braille because I wanted to read books in the car without getting dizzy. And I started going to the library to get some children's books. And the first book I picked out was A Bargain for Francis. So I checked out that book and I was really excited to be able to read it. But then I only could get the A and B in A Bargain because AR had the contraction. I didn't know contractions at the time. So I had I learned the alphabet in about an hour just looking up online. And then I started to write with a dull pencil and poke really hard into notebook paper pages to make Braille on the other side. And then that's when I started going to the library trying to get some books so I would have real Braille. And but then I realized that Braille again was more than just the letters. So I had this moment of, oh, do I actually learn Braille now? Is this worth my time? And I didn't do Braille maybe as intense in say seventh or eighth grade or so, but I still always kept it in my head. And I would find little excuses to use it. So like in junior high, we couldn't carry backpacks. We carried our notebooks and binders all by hand. And I'd sit in my chair and the teacher would say, okay, pull out your English binder. And I'd have to get out of my chair and look at all the labels on the books on the ground and the binders. And it was, you know, getting lazy, you know. So I decided, well, if I could just put Braille labels and I could just feel for the binder I want, and so I started putting braille labels for my classes, and then I didn't have to get out of my chair. And I thought, oh, this is this is effective. And so I did that in seventh grade, and then started finding using it for theater lines as well, especially because I could read lines backstage. Wow! And especially for paragraphs that were hard to remember, like some monologues. Maybe if I if I had it in braille, I could study my lines in the car. I wouldn't get carsick. And also the contractions helped and helped me decipher between words that were close. So like cannot or separate words as can, not, or can't are really specific in theater. You have to make sure you use the right one. And they're so distinct in Braille with the contractions. So it stood out more. And so I started using those for theater. And then I just started going, there's a, at the Art Institute in Chicago, they have tactile artwork that you can touch along with braille descriptions with print so i would read the braille description and then look at print at the same time and learn contractions that way read print braille books and then did the hadley class and now i'm doing the transcriber course so just trying to get as much braille as i can because it it just is like i found uses for it even though i'm not blind i say braille has helped me out so much and i can't go back to my pre-braille life as I call it like I do a lot of my homework stuff in braille especially like with zoom you know with online school Uh it's great sometimes you can you know be on your phone reading text messages or something reading on a braille display and like not actually you know paying attention to class or something so no one thinks that you're on your phone or you know you can do (laughs) so it's kind of funny or at night especially with being on your computers all the time you know you don't your eyes kind of get tired. Yeah, it's not good And so for I'm you. like, ah, oh. yeah. you know, like, let's just go to Braille. This is easier. Um, or if, like, my roommate wants to go to bed. Uh-huh. Oh, this is amazing in the dorms. But, uh, well, the light's going to be off. It doesn't bother me. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I found that so fascinating. And 
I just want to kind of go get even a little bit before that, and I don't even know if you really have an answer, but from what I was reading that you didn't really, you didn't know any blind people when you were in grade six, and how did you, do you happen to have any idea of when you heard of blindness for the first place, or what made you, or, I don't know, I just... Or Braille, where just, did you first yeah, just someone, see, did you see it around, like, nowadays on on elevators and things, or did, what made you, yeah, I mean, so- I'm sure most kids have heard of Braille, but... Yeah, like I know, I, I've definitely seen it. You know, elevators and signs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I really was, per se, super interested in it. Like before sixth grade, I don't. I mean, I guess I had to have been a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> it was more just the oh, I don't want to be car sick anymore because my friends would talk about reading books in the car on vacation and how they just read like chapter books. I'm like, how do you do that? Because I'll just get car sick. So I thought, oh, okay. Well, this is. A, I'll just learn braille so I can read books in the car, and. I try to be even because I didn't know anyone who was blind, mm-hmm. especially like in sixth grade. I didn't meet, maybe I'd seen people, you know. Mm-hmm. I was definitely interested in, say, like Helen Keller and Louis Braille and all that, mm-hmm. but I didn't know like a person like until junior in high school. And that's when I met Cassandra, who then helped with a lot of C3D things. And after I met Cassandra and got involved with NFB, I started meeting a lot of blind people. Mm-hmm. So. But it, it was more just the interest in Braille, and then from reading Braille, you learn about blindness, and then from there you meet blind people. Yeah, so I guess I guess that this what sparked the interest really seems to be then the the car sickness that you had, which yeah. must have been bad enough that, and you really you had the idea that you really wanted to be able to read while you were in a car. So that, from what I can gather, that might that seems like where it all started from because that's what you looked tried to find a solution, and Braille was the solution. So. Yes, that, um, and just, and do, I do, think I was really interested in, like, or, like, Helen Keller units at school, too. I think that was mm-hmm. always fun, especially sign language. I do sign language as well, okay. and a lot of stuff with the deaf community. So, I'm just, I think, in the most part, really interested in disabilities and ways to work around barriers. Right. Um, just so- a genuine curiosity and, and practicality and... And like most most kids, I just I like what you said a while ago. You said here you're maybe feeling lazy because you didn't want to have to look yeah. at your books. Nobody would say feeling lazy to a like a, a teenager who's sighted but learns like takes you know something upon themselves. Yeah, it doesn't like sound too did. lazy to learn braille. No, <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's kind of like but, maybe you would have just spend less work to get out of the chair and look at the binder. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the thing that I find most fascinating is that is that you do read Braille tactically with your fingers. Well, that's what I want to point out, because when people talk about, sighted people talk about reading Braille, you know, like a lot of educational assistants and TVIs and stuff. And our, mo- our, our mom learned Braille as well, but she mm-hmm. never read with her fingers. She just looked at it. Right. Um, so I, I just think I've never, I mean, I, I've never known of anyone who can see who reads with, with their fingers. So I just, yeah, it's... I we thought an, we really... thought enough people you've talked to haven't really gotten down into that as much as we w- seem to want to because it's fascinating to us. It's nice to see. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people ask that, you know. Oh, so you do you read with your eyes too, mm-hmm. or why? Why did you think of reading with your fingers? I'm like, well, I never really thought of reading with my eyes because the whole point was to read in the car. Mm-hmm. So I was saying because I do with my braille transcription, I do all of that visually. Just because, okay. like, I'm like check things more. I don't have, you know, I don't. I also, I'm doing it on the computer and typing. I don't want to like type it on a Perkins Braille or, and mm-hmm. then have to like redo it. Rather <laughs> just edit on the computer. But I say so. I probably can read faster visually. 
I was like, my, my braille speed has also gone up just in years from using it now, especially when you know all the contractions, then it's good. And I just, I use it so much more now, or I think in braille a lot, sometimes even in school, teachers talking, I'm in my head typing the braille version, especially with contractions or like, it helps keep me focused as well. Mm-hmm. So that's also, I think constantly thinking in braille maybe helps you read it better because you, you like I guess are exposed to it more in your head yeah like if I think of a word I, th- I can think about how it feels in my, in in my mind like um and I can mm-hmm. as I would sometimes could word it I can visualize the word in a weird way but I'm more so thinking about how it feels when I when I touch it so yes well that's something I thought it, it's good to talk about here on Outlook um you know the fact that we can still learn things visually when you're blind and people might not think that makes sense but um, we'll talk more about that throughout this episode when we talk about um, 3D models and things. But yeah, we just want to talk about this first because there are so many uses, as you point out, for Braille that anybody could could uh, get take advantage from. <laughs> like, we want to get Braille sort of demystified. And that's why we're so happy to have you on the show, because it shows that you can if you <laughs> if you had some free time like you did. You could actually learn right. learn Braille, and you could learn it um, and use it in the ways that we use it. Right, and that's what I like to always say as well, especially with people with you know like low vision, and so they say, "Oh, I don't need to learn Braille. I can see, or it won't be beneficial uh-huh. to me." I'm like, "Well, I'm fully sighted, and Braille is really helping me." So, <laughs> I just so. think, yeah, I mean, I've I've talked about this point a lot recently on the show, in particular, but I I just think it always needs to be stated about how how much importance braille has to us as blind people and there is a lot of talk these days about phasing it out a lot because of technology and phones being able to talk and all of that but for for us in particular it's just so important for literacy and just just in general having that skill so any any method of promoting braille is is always always important for me so so how did you go from all that then, um, which we'll get back to a little bit in, in, in a bit, but how did you go from that to, like, what did you, t- where did you take this whole Braille thing when you went, got into high school? Yes. So in eighth grade, I had to write a paragraph about what 3D printing could be used for and some innovative new solution. I started going online and reading about 3D printing for the blind, and in one of these articles, it had Braille labels on the 3D printed model. So the Braille was actually 3D printed. And I got really excited because I could read those Braille labels. And I thought, oh, I could use my Braille skills to add labels to 3D models. And then I started thinking, well, how could I 3D print things? You know, where do I have 3D printers? And my high school had some. And we started to use those. But again, I didn't know any blind people till junior year of high school so a lot of this freshman sophomore year 3d printing idea never really happened i more just anytime someone 3d printed something i would say hey did you know that you can use these for blind people and they can like feel images and stuff and then usually be like oh that's cool and then the conversation ends so (laughs) this is like in junior year of high school uh every year our school goes to a tech competition called tech olympics and I had gone freshman, sophomore year and had watched other people submit. It's called a showcase project. It's kind of like a project that you work on throughout the year and you then show it to judges. 
And so junior year, I wanted to actually do a showcase project because the other years I was just watching other people. And I thought, okay, this is a good time to use 3D printing for the blind. And again, like right at that time, I just happened to meet someone who's blind, you know, at a college fair. And I just asked her, I was like, hey, you know, what would you want 3D printed? And Cassandra said she wanted a Disney castle. Hmm. And so we printed one of those and then asked her for her feedback and then developed this idea for the tech project of, oh, we could use unsellable filament or extra filament we just have at school or people that aren't using their 3D printers, they don't know what to do with them. And they said, well, let's make models for the blind. And from then, it was kind of like a proof of concept idea that we did at Tech Olympics. And then from presenting there, they got invited to another tech conference and then another tech conference and then other expos and podcasts and articles from there and the word just spread. So I'm trying to think on, I guess, like what got me into it more. It was more just needing this project for the tech conference. And I always call them excuses for doing more Braille. Because I got a lot of people saying, oh, why are you doing Braille? You're not blind. And then I was like, well, I don't really know either. I mean, just reading books in the car. So anytime I had an excuse that was more than just reading the car, it kind of justified me learning more Braille. (laughs) So the more you could add to the reasons, then it's easier to explain to people why you were. I was going to ask what kind of reactions you got in the early years. And I guess that's sort of telling. Yes, definitely. There, there was always this kind of awkwardness. Especially, I always joke with my parents, like, why are you doing this? You're not blind. I was huh. like, well, I, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy too. But, you know, I feel like this is, has some, some use to it. Yeah, you had some draw and, to it that you really knew right. you needed to pursue it. And you didn't even quite know why in the beginning, probably, in, in some ways. But you just kept with it and and uh, figured right. it out as, as you went. That's how great things are born. Great ideas, great concepts, great. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I don't know much about 3D models at all, so 3D printing. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely a newer a newer thing. When we mm-hmm. we grew up more back in the 90s and early 2000s going to school, this stuff wasn't quite there yet. So um, it's interesting to think now that these schools have had these printers and they were kind of just sitting there not being used. And it's, right. it's like something new where there's not, it's not, it's, it's there and it's such a novelty in a weird way because it's new, but people yeah. aren't actually making um, use of it that, that has any effect on anything. So. Wow. Right. Cause a lot of students at my school were using it for engineering projects. They build drones mm-hmm. and, or just ways to learn how to work a 3d printer. And sometimes we do test prints, you know, oh, let's just do this model to see if it works. And then the test print just kind of sits there for a week and no one really does much with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, like what if our test print was say a model of the castle and then, oh, our castle model just happens to be useful for a blind person, you know? So just trying to find a way to not waste some of the things that we were making. And again, have kind of like more excuses to 3d print, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of kids wanted to do it, but they didn't want to be wasteful or, be like messing around or something well, I'm like hey you know you can print out this fun toy or cool model and then it's gonna be useful for someone else so it's a win-win so let me ask you bride do you know what a castle is or is it just a word to you yeah I'm trying to remember I mean I think as a kid I felt some some toy castles and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so I have a, a vague very vague idea in my mind but yeah not not exactly and and some, something I did want to point out is when, when we did meet back in, in 2018, um, that was the first time I'd ever seen any 3D printed um, models. And it did give me a different perspective for sure. I think 
at that time I you you showed me a, a butterfly, uh, mm-hmm. a really small, very very small map of the United States I think, and something yes. something space related. I forget exactly what it was, um, but I remember the butterfly in particular. Just just feeling the the wings and all of the very intricate details sort of made me realize that a lot of the a lot of the toys and other things that you that I had seen or felt growing up mm-hmm. were a little bit more basic. They didn't have that same detail, or maybe they had some some pictures on them or a bit more visual stuff on them but to actually feel them they weren't as detailed so so I definitely right away was amazed and I did see that see how this could be beneficial um, for for people blind people learning and yeah I think I think early on they when they make toys they don't always have all the details so a blind person might get the idea of the shape of the butterfly the outline but to get the idea of how much detail is in in a butterfly's wing you you don't necessarily understand that and it's such a small creature and that's why I think printing 3d bugs is kind of neat because they're so small it you know if you haven't felt a toy but we grew up with a lot of different toys too so sometimes we have those ideas but but I'm sure you see all kinds of reactions from the blind people you meet who have had different um, levels of, of interaction with models and toys. I don't know if anybody else remembers these 3D puzzles you can get. We, oh, I've done one of those before. Yeah, we got one of um, we got one of I think the Eiffel Tower. Pride, do you remember that? Yeah, I guess they they would have went that got that when they visited Europe back in the 90s, maybe. Or I think it was just right or, around the time they were in Europe. Right, our, our they, parents and our sister and brothers. So they they thought, well, this will be a, f- a fun Christmas present since we were just there and everything. So that's one way. And you know what I always like too, um, guys, is the when you travel, you can buy those little tiny models of wherever you go. Usually like souvenir stores carry those. So I always like to collect them because it always did give me, it shrinks it down from such a life-size thing that you can, you can maybe get a better idea. So I had those growing up. But um, so what kind of interaction did you have with blind people? Then you said you, you met your, that um, first girl who talked about the castles. Um, I assume you traveled after that and you went to different blind schools for the blind or where else did you? Yes. So some people I met in Cincinnati, basically Cassandra had a friend named Emily and then they had a friend named Haley <laughs> and you know, each friend kind of has like other friends that let you know about their other friends. Right. And so a lot of people I met in Cincinnati and then my mom had friends who were TBIs in Chicago. And so I was able to visit one of the schools. So, and they had multiple students and they traveled to the different schools in their district. So they would go to the elementary school and the middle school. And I remember the, the kids were so cute. They were very fascinated about like movie characters, especially the minions and despicable me or maps of the United States. And also like again with the insects, remember we were at recess and there was a ladybug and the teacher gave to the students, Oh, here's a ladybug. And the kid's like, oh, cool. But it was, you know, so small. And I thought, oh, it'd be great if we had a 3D model of a big ladybug so you could actually understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And especially with Haley, she was concerned about what a fly was. She goes, well, you know, is a fly like the size of like my head? Is a fly really small? It sounds like it might be really big. And I'm like, oh, no, a fly's actually like, pretty small. And so, you know, we can maybe hold, but she didn't want to touch a real fly <laughs> because it kind of grossed her out. So... I said, well, you know, a fly is kind of like the size of a ladybug. And the other thing, she's like, okay, I know that size. And then I give her the model of the fly. And she goes, oh, I didn't know it had six legs. Or, so, like, those were some big moments. A lot of people, I think, think. How many oh, eyes? How many legs? 
like thought it was one way and then yeah oh or i never really considered that flies have legs in the first place you know or uh, since the u.s sometimes like they would have the model upside down mm-hmm. and i was like oh it's just this way like oh really or they love um talking about car trips one kid said oh you know i'm in pennsylvania and i want to go to new york and then ohio then florida or something and when you can point those out on the map you're like oh so that's what east and west means mm-hmm. oh, like like north dakota and south dakota there's a lot of oh that makes sense mm-hmm. moments um a lot of aha moments as they call Yes, a lot of a lot of that, and then a lot of oh, we could use the model for this. And especially some teachers maybe had heard of three D printing, but never thought of it in the context of education. They thought of it more in engineering or building prototypes. And then they start going through their textbooks and they're like, no, it would have been great to have cell models, or we could use this for like they learn about Mount Rushmore and other like historic landmarks. And I thought, oh, like we could have you know models of these, so it's not just describing them. And I think that there was, I always like doing that because like, then the teachers start thinking, oh, we could use it for this. And then when they have opportunities for grants and things, they can start trying to get printers. Or when you know it's an option, Mm -hmm. then you start to think of more opportunities to use the tool. Yeah, that's great. Like you said, you can use it for science, you can use it for geography, you know, you can use it for, um, so yeah, because growing up, so for our listeners who not, might not know, um, Brian was always just uh, seeing light in dark. So in his school days, he used to have our um, educational assistant or Braille transcriber, um, which she was called, would, would make Brian tactile models. Well, mo- not really models, more like just tactile pictures. More so, yeah, raised yeah. maps and stuff like that. So she would use hot glue gun and other tactile uh, sort of art supplies. And I was always into art, so I was always a little jealous of you for that because I was able to see large print things. So often I would have large print pictures. But um, we did have, I think it's like um, thermoform, it's called. It's like a plasticky mm-hmm. paper, yeah. So we used to have like, we had an alphabet book growing up. So each you know letter has a picture of something. And then... In geography class, we'd have maps of Canada to understand the provinces because, yeah, you really miss out on it if you're blind and nobody ever thinks to to even give you anything tactile. So how about a snowflake? What kind of reaction did you get about snowflakes from from students? Oh, so one person thought it reminded them of a fancy cookie. <laughs> and other people, I think, said, oh, I never knew that a snowflake, every snowflake was different or had all these intricate designs or patterns of six that repeat. And especially because the kids like the snowflakes and adults, there's usually this like moment of, ah, oh, that's cool. Let's see another one, you know, or I never thought of that. And then there's kind of like, oh, I wonder what else I would like to see tactile. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just usually this moment of, oh, that's cool. Right. Like now I'm thinking of other things that I want. I would say my comparison with a snowflake would be, because when I was a kid, I used to like to, you know, the craft you can make where you fold a paper over and you cut it into like an oval and then yes. you cut out yeah. the edges and then you open it up into a snowflake. Well, but I always pictured, do you know those doilies mm-hmm. people yeah. have on their tables and things, the, knit, the, the, the crocheted things? That's kind of, you know, the intricate detail you get in those and the shape reminds me of a snowflake. But that's, that's true. 
But it's amazing to go from something you can put your tongue out in the cold winter and capture on your tongue, you know, snowflakes to realizing how many details are in in one. Yeah, yeah. if you if you can't see, it's just this tiny little wet drop that <laughs> that comes out of the air, but you would have no idea what what is actually um, looks like and hard to even have a concept at all unless you unless you feel a tactile version of that. And uh, we are speaking today with Caroline Karbowski on Outlook. Uh, she is the CEO and owner of C3D. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Outlook on Radio Western. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western. And today we are speaking with Caroline Karbowski, founder and CEO of C3D. Great to have you on today, and thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks so much for inviting me. But as we point out, it's not just for blind people, if you really think about it. Right, that's a good, a good thing to start to talk about. We can make people care more if we, if we make them see that there could be something in it for them, even though you know, we, we always want everybody to want to care about others. Um, but um, I just wanted to ask, tell us more about the website itself there sure so our website is c3d.org and that's s-e-e in the number three d.org and on the website that's how people can request models and just and it then goes to our slack page which then incorporates different volunteers that have 3d printers or volunteer 3d designers and then people can claim which models they want to print or design. And then once the model's printed, we then can mail it to the recipient, free matter for the blind. And then we often include braille labels on the box. So you know where the box came from. We'll add braille labels to the model if it's needed, say like a map model. Mm -hmm. And our website also is a place where we can host learning guides. So they're like descriptions of models or tours saying start here on the base of the model and feel up and now you're touching this and our website has photos of model requests and testimonials from people who receive models and eventually we wanted to host more resources on how to do 3d printing blind and sighted so like how to use this 3d programs with jaws mm-hmm. or how to use it with voiceover and other resources for people who are doing similar ideas and resources about like braille and how to also working on our youtube channel where we can show people how to clean models how to package models or how to look for models that might feel good compared to just looking good on a computer right and being like a hub to collect people and our volunteers wow yeah, and so like you said, um, teachers could have these made. It's like a good idea for kids who are blind who might not have been given the chance to learn their country, you know, to understand it like everyone else. Like he's, I think you, I heard you in some one interview say, you know, every classroom has those pull down, pull down maps of the country uh, or the continent or the world, right? And right. of course we have globes, but this is making it even better. But um, exactly. I'm, I'm interested in science also. But the thing we want to like to point out is that a lot of blind people may have been 
just like how a lot of blind, uh, low vision people and their teachers and parents think, well, if you have some sight, you don't need to learn Braille, which isn't true. Um, and also then that blind kids don't get the same kind of education or they don't develop an interest in science because they never were given the, the opportunities that 3D models, I think, could provide. Like, like me, who kind of dreamed of being a marine biologist, but I just couldn't get past high school science classes. So that's kind of the hope that I see in these sort of things. But um, what led you to the NFB conventions? Where you met Brian? Yes. Yeah, was that that so was your this, first time in 2018 at one of those conventions? Yes. Or? Wow. Yes. So this is okay. This is kind of a funny story. So again, so I met Cassandra. I met her at a college fair. Well, mm. how I met um, some people was through another college event. I went to Butler University, and that's where Dr. Matt Maurer works, and he's the brother of Mark Maurer, so former president of the NFB. And so Matt Maurer runs a TVI program at Butler. So I was talking with him about blindness. And just to clarify and, for our listeners, TVI uh, is? Yes. Teacher visually impaired. And then also like TBS, teacher blind students. Like we said, there's and many names for it. <laughs> yeah, we talked yeah. about that on a, pr- on a previous show where we had a, a educational assistant for a blind student. And yeah, there are so many terms, but um, just. Right. So, so I was talking with Dr. Maurer about that. And then he said, oh, you know, if you're doing all this 3D printing, you should talk with Jacob Ayers at the Indiana School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, ISBBI. They're just, you know, a short drive away. Let's go talk to him. So we honestly just got in the car, visited Jacob at ISBBI, where at the time they had about 10 3D printers at their digital fabrication lab. And they were doing gigantic 3D prints, you know, like Mount Rushmore, where like the head is the size of your head. Or uh, they had a butterfly that was like the size of maybe a desktop computer. You know, it was huge. Wow. And they do this by printing multiple pieces and gluing them together. Okay. And then they're saying, you know, you're really interested in blindness things. You should check out the NFB convention. So that's the place to go. Yep. So that summer, my parents and I went to Florida because we also had family in Florida and other people to see and we kind of made it a whole vacation uh-huh. and this was between senior year of high school and starting of college okay. so that was a really good forming time to understand like what is my goal for college as well like I'm going here let's figure out what the plan is and that's when I just started meeting a lot of people I did the youth track so I hung out with a lot of the kids and teens that are my age and then I met adults you know I met Brian some other people so it was always an interesting question, like, oh, why are you here? Usually it's because, you know, you are blind or someone in your family's blind. And I'm like, well, because I like 3D printing and Braille. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And wow. I just, I was there to try and get feedback, see what are people using now? What's the new technology? Especially seeing like the graffiti or the canoe, like those new Braille displays. Because... Right. There's a lot of hope, like with the graffiti, you can use that with 3D printing. You can feel the model that you're designing on the computer. Right. And wow. then edit it using your Braille display and then go back to feeling it and understand, oh, is my model too big? Do I need to rotate it? And before, without the graffiti, you really are kind of just relying on perhaps what the coordinates are, but you don't really know if the model's upside down. So you have to have some sort of sight assistance. So this is really exciting and helping for it allowing blind people to do this independently 
And I met Karen Arcos, who was studying um, neuroscience. And so she was in college and she hadn't touched DNA before. So I showed her a DNA model. And she goes, you know, I never knew that like what a double helix was because my teacher just told me to visualize a double helix. And so I just started like finding like, these like kind of like funny stories. Like, oh, that's weird. You know, I'm like, well, it'd be great if you had this DNA model when you were in elementary school or middle school when you're learning about DNA or it comes up. So that really, when I thought talk with people and heard about things that they wish they had when they're younger, I'm then able to print those out and then take them to the Ohio State School for the Blind, which is near my university, Ohio State University. So then it just kind of got some ideas and I didn't get to go in a convention in 2019 and I went to the online convention. Oh, you did this yeah. year. Right. Wow. And what we like to point out is that everybody, we think anybody should go to the NFB convention. And are you, would you agree with that? Yes. I think especially people that maybe don't even find a real tie to blindness, you know, maybe, okay, maybe somebody family like, isn't blind, but there's still a lot of cool things you can learn. It's just fun to steal the technology. It's also a whole new way of thinking. I, I remember being in the exhibit hall with my mom and all the lights turned off and the person talking with it just kept on talking. And some people were like kind of making some like noises, but for the most part, everyone was unaffected. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think a lot of times people like, if you know, if I'm at school and lights turn off, everyone starts panicking or something. And nowadays down. I don't yeah. really panic as much. Time to go home. We can't do anything now. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my. So and especially hearing all of the speakers or especially the advocacy issues. Sometimes I think there's the the thought that, oh, everything is good with the ADA or with IEPs, everything is good now. But we find that sometimes it isn't always good. Sometimes things still fall through the cracks. And so hearing that kind of helped dispel that myth and then makes you more aware when you're, say, like back at like regular life outside convention, you might notice things more. Because, you know, sometimes there could be like problems or you're more aware about accessibility issues and then you can easily advocate for those in your regular life. Yeah, I just think for for anyone to go there and see a big part for me, even as a blind person, to be around 2000 other blind people for me was so inspirational and just really, really changed my whole mindset because I'd never and then when I left the convention it felt kind of weird to go back to the world because I was like wait where where are all the blind people like right <laughs> it's it's and I think it can really open people's eyes to realize how how independent and how how because most people if they meet a blind person even might meet one or two but that's about it and and you start to think oh well you still keep those sort of ableist type underlying feelings thinking well well that blind person it's like not enough to know one blind person and then think well that bl blind person may be a scientist but then you get into this like no most blind people couldn't be scientists that person's really inspirational and special and amazing that they are you f start to find out that they're at the nfb there's a whole you know a whole group of Division, scientists yeah, divisions yeah. yeah right wow and i even think too like people reading braille that was huge because i was again just in the hadley class at the time and then when i saw other people reading braille as fast as i was reading print or especially like zooming on their braille displays just panning really quickly i thought okay so it is possible to go fast reading braille oh and so that encouraged me to keep studying i even think some of my friends are like oh i want to try and read braille like carolina i've met some people with 
low vision. They said, you know, I didn't think I learned, could learn Braille, but now that you're fully sighted and you're learning Braille, I'm like, okay, I'll learn Braille too. And so it's sort of this this game of looking at other people reading Braille and you're like, I want to do that too. And then we all just kind of feed off of each other. Right. So, and, I, and I wonder if for someone who is losing their sight, who is afraid or not sure how to, how to approach learning Braille or don't think they can do it, to compare themselves to other people who are totally blind who have been reading Braille all their life, they probably feel like, oh, they have developed these skills that I don't have. There's no way I can do this. Whereas if they see someone sighted who's reading it, it could, it definitely could lessen that and make them think, oh, maybe this is possible. And, and, uh, no, calling out a few of my classmates from elementary school when we, we had a Braille club at school just to introduce the other kids to what mm-hmm. Braille is, but I don't know if any of them took it this took it to this uh, level as you did. <laughs> I haven't checked back with everybody, yeah, but gotten <laughs> updates from everyone. Else. Wow. So, what do people you meet now think now that you're sort of in college and starting a whole new yeah, phrase? Yeah, C3D's life? been around for I guess yeah. it was about three years now. Is that? Yep, since 2017, and we were a nonprofit last year in December. So, wow. I would say. I definitely don't get the awkward like as much. Why are you learning Braille? That's wasting time. For the most part nowadays, it's now like it's okay. It, it worked out, you know. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm also more confident in it as well as too. Like I found, it's like okay, I'm learning these things so I can better teach it to others. Especially like at NFB convention, we did the cane walk as well as the oh, I don't know what they like. It wasn't a treasure hunt or it was like a scavenger hunt thing. Mm-hmm. Right. where everyone, even so blindsided, any level of vision, we all wore the learning shades, sleep shades, or like mm-hmm. blindfold, whatever you prefer, and used to cane to navigate around the hotel. And that mm-hmm. was so fun. And so then, especially the bell camp for NFB last year. Yeah, so tell, us, tell used... us more about that, because I don't think people, yes. we barely yeah, know what bell Canada, is. Canada, it's something oh. we don't so much about. So. Yes, so I'm really involved with the NFB of Ohio, and we hosted the Bell Camp last year. It's Braille Enrichment for Literacy and Learning. And it's a week-long camp where students spend the night elementary age to junior high age. And we mainly focus on Braille skills, but also just tactile learning and cane travel skills, independent living. And it's run by blind people. So the students have a lot of blind mentors. Mm-hmm. And there's also people like me that are kind of like TBI sort of student age or interested others that want to help volunteer. And we, but everyone uses a cane and a sleep shade to interact when we're learning Braille, to learn it all tactically. We also do a lot of travel around campus. And it's also to help the people that don't use canes every day to trust the cane and like understand, oh, this is a really effective tool, especially because I started going from my dorm to the science classroom every day, you know, blind. I'm like, well, this is working out. I'm, it's, I'm not having any major problems. This is actually kind of fun. And so when other people say, oh, like that must be so hard. I'm like, it's actually not that hard. You know, it was a little weird for like five minutes and then I got it, you know? So I think like that was really fun. We went to the movie theater with audio description. We went to the airport. Mm-hmm. We made food with the students. We did a dogfish shark dissection. And we also had 3D printed models of different types of sharks. We had tactile graphics of sharks. We learned about DNA and water molecules. We grew plants. And then throughout all this, we used tactile graphics and 3D models 
And that was really fun. And especially from then on, I've, I kept continuing with cane travel things. Often I would go around OSU's campus to different dorms and have learned how to do um, some navigation things. I use like, uh, like the compass app to know which direction I'm going or Ira sometimes listening to our clock tower chime and that helps orient like where you are or just hearing streets. Mm-hmm. I realized how big that was hearing cars mm-hmm. at intersections helps you know where you are. And I just find it really fun. And I hope to then either become like a TBI or O&M instructor or at least have these skills so I can better teach it later on. Yeah, and you mentioned the Art Institute of Chicago or whatever that was. Brian, yes. I think we should take a trip to Chicago someday. Check yeah, it out. I've always wanted to go there. They have a, an amazing music scene there, but seeing the, <laughs> I know, the Art Institute as well would be... Would be well, I'm, lately I've been fascinated with making art more accessible because, like I said, growing up I could see colors and I loved art and drawing. And I always wonder if I would have gotten more into art if I could have had some of this at my disposal. You know, some art galleries will let you feel certain models, but statues and things, some, you know, they have to protect them behind glass. There's always not, it's not always possible to make it tactile, but more art installations are popping up everywhere that are more accessible. We just need to make it more uh, applicable to more than just us. Right, especially, you know, the Art Institute found that when people were touching their models, you know, everyone was benefiting. It wasn't just blind people. Yeah. They realized that as they touched them all, like, oh, this model fits in your hand. It must be a, some sort of devotional or something that's supposed to be held. Now we know more about the model than what we knew before. Or being able to, like, even the artwork that's in a glass case, if you can scan it and make a model, you could touch it. And then in, in the process of scanning it, you are somehow, you're like kind of like preserving the model. So maybe if that, that artwork gets damaged in the years or just gets old, well, you always have that have scan. A, yeah. So you can look at things digitally. You could send that scan to someone else in a different country, you know, and they could do research on as well, and they can manipulate it and see the different angles compared to just sending them photos. And, and that, it's a whole other way of preserving. Right. And that's another good point that, um, like you said, these models can be sent to um, blind students in countries all over the world who might, you know, not be have the same access to certain education that we might hear. And, you know, it can open up their eyes and give them more education than they would have had. So what kind of things like that do you see going forward with um, C3D? Yes. So in the past, we've sent some models to Nicaragua and Guyana and Kyrgyzstan. And those were done because someone that we knew was going to that country. They're visiting there, they have family there, or there's like the Clovernook Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Cincinnati. They right, I've heard of them. But... Oh, yes, okay. and they do a lot with art accessibility as well. Hmm. So if you definitely want to look more there, but they went to Kyrgyzstan to help set up a Braille printing press, and they took hmm. a lot of our models there. And I know the teacher in Kyrgyzstan said that these are the best educational materials they've ever received. Hmm. And again, like the cost for 3D printing is, is still fairly low. I mean, maybe if you consider, say, like, a lot of times it's maybe five to fifteen dollars or so a model if you were considering say like work time but you know in just material costs it's maybe a few dollars if that depending on how big it is compared to say some of the times models for blind are just super expensive so oh yeah we get that a lot too. we're get you know we, we're told we can't have this or that you know made accessible or adaptable because it's it's too, too much of a pr- cost 
So we right. got to find ways around like, that. Yeah. Exactly. So that's I really find a lot of potential with 3D printing because it is less. Or also a 3D printer can be used for things other than blindness. You know, you could have it at school and your blind students are using it, but so are your engineering and mm-hmm. your science students or, you know, the models printed for a blind student, everyone in the class benefits because, you know, I didn't know what DNA looked like till I looked at a model. No, I, so, I still don't really know. I need, I think I need one of those. <laughs> and, no. that's, and that's what we were, we we're saying about how we can tie this in for, for sighted people as well so that it isn't just specifically for blind people and that always makes things um, a lot more, they spread a lot easier and they have more of an effect if they can influence everyone instead of just a smaller group of people. So, mm-hmm. Right, I also feel like 3D printing is kind of like a, I call it a gateway to blindness because maybe like, a lot of people are interested in 3D printing and they design models for fun and then realize, oh, I could volunteer with C3D and design models that are going to go for an actual need. Mm-hmm. So especially some teachers that teach CAD design. So it's like computer, like designing 3D models. Oh, They're like, yeah. oh, can we talk with you about what model requests you have? So then my homework will be designing those models for my students. Or th- th- so my students will design models for you. And that way it's more of a project-based learning approach. It's a little bit more real world. It's not just doing homework to do homework. It's actually going somewhere. So that's just raising awareness right there. That the whole class now is aware about blindness and braille and tactile models. And then as they continue to go out their lives, they might continue to think about that and think about accessibility. It's like a, a great way to spread awareness. Yeah, it's like in the back of their mind throughout life and maybe you never know when that right. might come to the surface. And one thing I want to touch on, Carrie, was um, that be, you used to being able to see more growing up. Um, the, the transition for you with computers has been <laughs> has been tricky with uh, computer screens and stuff like that. I wanted you to <sighs> kind of talk about that, Carrie, briefly and see, yeah. see if you think maybe 3D printing could have any uh, advantage with that. Has anybody um, requested a computer screen model? Like like a like a, a I, desktop? It made or... me think of this based on the, the, I heard you talking a little bit in some interviews about the uh, iPhone screen. touch screen, yes. which, which for, for us was pretty easy to grasp. Just being, when you're touching certain spots of the screen, it tells you what where you are, are on what app. Yeah, like I, I know the messaging app is in the top left, and the and the mail app is in the on the bottom row. Like you just if growing up with the tactile maps and and being able to visualize helped, spatially sure. in our heads, it helps. But not everybody grows up with that. So, but the computer for you, Carrie, seems like it's more of a <laughs> more difficult to to understand because you're still coming at it with a visual perspective, but now you don't have that sight, so you're kind of yes. like. What, so, what is a list? What is a combo box? Where is this on the screen? Like you're still thinking in those terms. Yeah, I always wonder why does it matter to me to know that, but it somehow does. So I'm sure you mm-hmm. you see a wide array of different blind people, and like people may not realize that blindness is such a spectrum of of levels. So you, like Brian says, I have different needs from maybe my 3D models um, because I had some sight versus someone like Brian or someone who was totally blind all their lives you visualize things in a different way. Like you've, you've talked about colors, right? So there's a whole bunch of concepts that are, are that way. But I didn't know if anybody's ever, I don't, I can't, I've never seen a 3D printer even to really understand how it would work. But, but I think yeah, it would be. So we haven't received a computer screen request, but that's interesting. I mean, I wonder if that could also work well with tactile graphics and you could have like a full paper that shows the outline of the screen or so if i had one of those iPhone. yeah if i had one of those yeah. braille displays like you said that you can feel the model um tactily on on the on the right. surface of the braille display 
uh, if people don't know what a braille display is, look look one up, see what they look like. Yeah, there's one in, one in my lap right now. <laughs> well, yeah, we're using <laughs> them for the show, we'll, but uh, if someone sighted yeah, wants to see what we're getting at, just like I need to see what a 3D printer is like. But um, yeah, no, that's, that's one idea I thought I could offer. <laughs> Maybe yeah, if you haven't heard of it. I don't even know, like with the graffiti, you could feel the outline, like what the, your screen has. If you had text on a page with, say, pictures embedded, you could feel where your text is going around your pictures. Exactly. Or, I, I find really interesting. I say, as for um, how 3D printers work, um, the way I describe it is it's like wound up spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like the thickness of spaghetti or like wound up like thread. But yeah. you know, this is a huge roll. Is, is like it on like a spool kind of? of or... Yes, yeah. a spool. Yeah. And But it, it's very large, like the size of a plate. Uh-huh. And it feeds in the top of the printer through an extruder and it's like a hot glue gun. So mm. you feed it through this hot metal tip and it melts and the printer then is touching the base. There's a, a build plate, usually like a square mm. and it's extruding a little bit from it. And then depending on what your printer, sometimes the printer head moves, sometimes the base moves. And, but at least on mine, the printer head moves and like outlines the shape like it draws on the build plate. And then fills in, let's say if we're just building it, let's just say a cube. It does a square mm-hmm. outline and then fills in the square. And then does another square outline and fills in the square and just keeps building up and up and up, adding to what you had before. Because when it, even though it's hot and melted, once it comes out, it hardens mm-hmm. quickly. And for some kids and who have some low vision, is it colored or is it clear? It can be any color and it can mm-hmm. be clear as well, glow in the dark. You can mm-hmm. have like metal, I mean, those are more expensive, but you know, like metal. Um, there's even like different like, types of wood 3D printing, like a lot of renewable resources that you can like throw in, like sand or different something. materials. So, right. Yeah. But I just thought and for low vision different... to get kids interested in mo- in, in what yes. these models can, can get them to visualize in their heads, some might want the color to catch their attention. Right. As well as tactile, but. A whole bunch of a whole wide variety of needs people have, I'm sure. Yeah, this right. this hour has flown by because it's such a such an interesting topic that, Jeez. as we said, 3D printing is so new and we don't know much about it. And and I don't think um, myself as very techy, but you know, this still fascinates me because it could be like art, tech, techy art, techy science, right. <laughs> a whole bunch of uses. Wow. Yeah, there's so many uses for that. And, and I just want to th- just honestly thank you for for doing all this all these years and showing interest in and and it showing other sighted people what can be gained from it and and it's just it makes me smile to think that there are people like you out there in the world if i can say thanks so much a lot of it has been you know when i see blind people doing it or like sometimes like oh like they have some idea of like oh i want to touch this model then i start thinking of some other model or right. it's the aha moments it's, mm-hmm. You know, when people say, wow, like this is the best thing I've ever had, or I didn't know this was possible, it really just encourages me to continue with C3D and continue thinking of new ideas or ways that we could take 3D printing. Yeah, because we often talk a lot on this show about barriers and inaccessibility mm. and all this stuff. So it's such a nice. When there's solutions to our problems, turn we to talk we to love someone them. who's actually coming up with coming up with these solutions and and just to see the younger population really looking into this stuff and and it gives us so much hope and excitement for the future so yeah it's just thanks thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate it and i feel like we could continue talking there's so much to say but mm-hmm. perhaps uh, in the future we'll we'll have you on again in in a in a few years and sure. see where you go with get an update this. and see yeah. see where things exactly. are exactly well we want to wish you luck and everything you're doing in school there and in your future thank you 
All right, so check out Caroline Karbowski at c3d.org. That's S E E. Yeah, S E E. The number three, the letter D, dot org. And request a model today. I'm not totally sure yet how that ships to Canada uh, for free or not. I don't know if you've sent anything to Canada. Yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like any model we've sent because someone visited from Canada or was able to. Mm. So I don't know how that would really work as well. But perhaps, you know, if there's anyone in Canada that has a 3D printer that wants to be a like a C3D distribution person, mm-hmm. you know, just contact us at info at C3D.org. Great. So I-N-F-O at C3D.org. So, because that, that's kind of the idea too, especially for these international things. Because we've had mm-hmm. someone in South Africa that said, well, I'll print if you have anyone in South Africa. I'm like, well, okay. Awesome. So, yeah, you need, you know, you need yeah, it helps if you, if you have the person already in Canada that's printing the models right. and then they can yeah. just send them within Canada. Great, da- right. great database. Thanks for everything there. And then we could also send just the, the file. So mm-hmm. if, it, if someone has to design the model, we could just send you the STL file if you had a printer. Great. Or even just like collaborate. C3D.org. Check it out, everyone. Check it out. And thanks again to Caroline Karbowski for being on the show. And Thank you. We will see you next week. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook facebook.com slash outlook on Radio Western.